and you will keep them, and you will follow them, meaning if you keep the laws of the Torah, God will keep the berit, the covenant, that the chesed, and the um, the kindness that he promised uh, to your fathers. So that she says over here, the word ekev means uh, heel, literally in a heel, like the bottom of your foot. So that she says, This is referring to the um, easy mitzvot, or the mitzvot that people take for, you know, for granted. And uh, these are the mitzvot that people trample with their heels. They don't take seriously enough. So the Torah is telling us that don't only the important mitzvot, the major mitzvot, but also the mitzvot of Ekev, the mitzvot that you might Tramp or like talking in shul, or uh, you know things um, things of that sort. Talking talking during kaddish, or um, you know not not saying berachot with kavana. You know, things that uh, we fall into bad habits and we don't think of too much about it. So the small mitzvah one has to uh, fulfill as well. And then it says God will keep the berit the covenant with us, and as she says that he will keep what he promised us. And what is that? So it says, by he will love you, and he will bless you. Becha means he will uh, multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your fields, your grain, your wine, your oil. Shegar alafecha. Shegar alafecha means the offspring of your cattle. Ashterot sonecha, herds of your flocks. Al haadama on the land. Asher nishbal lavotecha, latetlalam. In the promised land. She says, um, on this over here, there will not be any akar. Akar means a male that's infertile. People will not have infertility, not male and not female. Nor, nor your animals. And as she says, the word akar is referring to people that do not have the ability to, uh, to father children. So again, if you follow the Torah, it gets rid of infertility as well. Then it says, God will remove from you all sickness. And all of the uh, maladies, the sicknesses of the Egyptians, that you knew when you were in Egypt, God will not place them uh, upon you. On the contrary, He will place the sicknesses on your enemies. And you will 
literally devour all of the nations. That God will give you. Then you will not have mercy on them. But do not worship their gods. Because it will be a stumbling block for you. And if you're going to say, Ki uh, means perhaps uh, you shall say. Maybe uh, you're going to say. Uh, you might say, wow, these guim, they're too numerous. How will I be able to drive them out of Israel? There are too many of them. Torah says, don't be afraid of them. Zachor to score. Remember it Ashir Asa Hashem Eloheichan Lefaro Bol Chol Mitzrayim. Remember what God did in the miracles to Paro and Mitzrayim. Hamasot, Masot literally means that she says the Nisyonot. The Nisyonot means uh, the tests. What is that referring to over here? That Moshe um, Rabbeinu challenged Paro, for example. When uh, there was a plague that um, Paro wanted to get rid of, Moshe Rabbeinu told Paro, you tell me when you want me to get rid of the plague. Uh, for example, um, Paro by the Makah frogs, he was the one that set the time. So therefore, the test that they gave Paro, that's called the Hamasot. The Ha'otot is referring to the, uh, the signs, like when Moshe Rabbeinu turned his stick into a snake. Bahamofetim is referring to the Makot, the wondrous plagues. Bayada Hazaka, that she says is specifically referring to the plague of Debit, which is pestilence, which is the animals that die. Vazeroa Netuya, that she says Zeachedev, is referring to the to the sword. Shilmakat Bechorot, at the time of the uh, killing of the firstborn. The um, only the plague of uh, pestilence and Makat Bechorot that was killing. All the other plagues, eight out of the ten plagues just made the lives of the Egyptians miserable. But there wasn't death. The only two plagues that had death was the pestilence, which is the David, and the killing of the firstborn. So therefore, uh, the Pasuk refers to those two plagues specifically when it says Vehayada Hazaka Hanetuya. Yada Hazaka's David, which again was a plague that had death attached to it. She says, referring to the sword, which is also referring to Makat Bechorot, which also had a uh, death element to it. And then it says that all those things that God did to the Egyptians, so to God will do to all the other nations that you, that you are afraid of. God will send the Sira'ah. Now, what is the Sira'ah? So that she says, it's a type of sheritz ha'of. It's a type of a flying insect. Sheaita zureket mara bahim, which shoots out a certain like a, a bile or a poison. Um and it makes them impotent. It bites them in certain areas over there where they can't have children after that, and blinds them. So wherever you hide, the tzara comes and attacks. Now, I think they say that Sira might be a hornet. God's going to send the... Huh? Yeah, yeah say hornet. That's what it says. Hornet. Exactly. 
So thank you, Lord. The government of Sarah, Yishalach Hashem Elokeh Abba, God is going to send it Sarah. Ad avod halishanim vanistarim mepanecha. That God is going to attack the survivors that are hiding in the war that you're going to fight. There's not going to be any survivors. All the ones that are going to be hiding from you are going to get attacked by the horn. They can't hide from God. God says, uh, do, not, uh, do not break down in front of them. Do not panic. God is with you. God is great and God is awesome. God will uh, thrust these nations from before you uh, a little, a little, to move them out. You're not going to be able to destroy them uh, in a, uh, annihilate them quickly. It's very interesting. If, if the Jews were going to go to Israel and knock out all the nations immediately, the animals will come in. Because you, you have desolation. You don't have a place of of, 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 of civilization yet because we can't build houses that quickly. But if you're going to knight them all out, the animals are going to come in and now you're going to have a, uh, you're going to have a problem. So therefore, uh, she comes along and says, but I don't understand. We read in Kiryat Shema, or we, we, we have a tradition that says that if the... Uh, the Jewish people are fulfilling the will of God. You don't have to worry about the animals. So therefore, uh, why, why would God say that you cannot attack the, uh, obliterate the nations immediately because he's worried about the animals. But if we're fulfilling word, the word of God, you don't have to worry about the wild animals. So that she says that God was predicting that they're going to sin. And therefore, when they sin, they do have to be worried about the animals. So therefore, God said, it's to your advantage. You don't oust the goyim Immediately, it's uh, to your advantage that it's done in a uh, in a slow fashion. That was it. That was crazy. It was and, actually insane. And God uh, will give uh, deliver the enemies before you. There's going to be great confusion until their destruction. And. Uh, God will deliver their kings into your hands. And you shall cause their names uh, to perish. From under the sky. Nobody will stand up against you. Until you have destroyed them. And their carved images will burn in the fire. Uh, you should not covet and take for yourself the silver and the gold uh, of their avodah uh, zarah. Do not take it. Maybe you'll fall into a stumbling block because it's avodah zarah. Because it's an abomination of God. You shall not bring these abominable things into your house. And uh, if you bring these abominable things into your house, uh, you will become banned like it. Uh, you should hate it. And 
and you shall surely abominate it, meaning make it disgusting in your eyes. Because it is banned. All the mitzvah that I'm commanding you today. Now, over here, the pasuk refers to the mitzvah of kol mitzvah, all the mitzvah. So that she teaches us a lesson over here. You saw the mitzvah, finish it. When they give credit for a mitzvah, the credit is given to the one that finishes the mitzvah. As it says uh, by uh, the bones of Yosef, it says that who gets credit for taking the bones of Yosef out of Mitzrayim and burying him in the city of Shechem? It says the Jewish people. So that she says, what do you mean? Moshe Rabbeinu was the one that did it. It was Moshe Rabbeinu that took Yeshua's bones out from Egypt. But he didn't finish the mitzvah. And since he didn't finish the mitzvah, the credit is given to the one that actually finished it. And that was B'nai Israel when they actually interred his body in Shechem. So that's where she's learning it from the words, kola mitzvah. They should try to do all the mitzvah, not part of the mitzvah. They don't uh, don't uh, fall out. And therefore, the Pasuk is saying that as a result of uh, keeping the mitzvot, God is going to uh, give us, obviously, all these berachot. et kol And you remember uh, the entire road. That God led you. The 40 years in the desert. In order to afflict you. Which is to, to, to like, like to test you. Then I sotecha, nadaat et asher bet babecha, so I can know what's in your heart. Hatishmon mitzvotai imlo. Are you going to fulfill my commandments or not? That means, are you going to question God and the, the justice of His ways? So the pasuk says, by anecha, by ivecha, I afflicted you and let you have hunger. And I gave you the man, the manner, in order to make you aware, so you'll know, because man does not live by bread alone, because the man uh, lives from, what emanates uh, from God. So that she says, your garments never wore out. How is it possible that for 40 years in the Midbar, where they didn't have any, you know, shops, or malls, and they're wearing basically the same clothes for 40 years? So that she says that the clouds of glory would come every day and press their clothes and uh, launder their clothes. So therefore, every day, the garment looked perfectly clean. You're walking in the desert, there's dust, there's uh, sweat, there's elements, there's dirt. And therefore, the clothes, every night, they went to sleep. That's it. The clouds of glory came and gave it a, uh, you know, one-hour modernizing, which they call it. Ve'af ketandehem. And even the young ones, kemoshayu gedelim. The clothes would grow on the children, which is an amazing thing also. You never had to go get a new size. 
as the children grew, the clothes actually grew with the children. Like the clothing, as she says, of a snail. You ever see a snail? The shell of the snail keeps on growing and growing and growing with the, with the snail. The shell adjusts to the size of it. So that she said the same thing with the clothes. It just kept on adjusting to ours. So not only did they wear out, your clothes did not wear out. What does that mean? Your, your feet did not become like dough. Now, what does that mean? Normally when a person walks uh, uh, barefoot, so what happens? Their feet get swollen. And therefore their shoes start to, they don't fit. So the Pasuk says, Your feet did not become like batsek, like dough. That means the shoes were still able to, uh, to fit. And you should know, Just like a, uh, a man chastises his son, God does this for our benefit, and he chastises and rebukes us. Hashem would wish you keep the mitzvot of Hashem, to walk in his ways, to fear him. God is bringing us to the good land, a place that has uh, streams of water, ayanot, springs, uh, coming out of the valley of the mountains. Uh, the land of Israel is a land of chita, which is wheat, is barley. Geffen, grapes, te'enais, figs, vidimon is pomegranates. Eretz, zechemen, it's a land of zechemen, olive oil, udvash, devash is honey. And as she says, zechemen means zayichosim shemen, uh, olives that make uh, oil. And the pasuk says, eres asher abaneha barzel. I'm sorry, eres asher lo miskenu tochal balechem. It's the land where you'll eat the bread without poverty, which means there's beracha in the bread. Eres asher abaneha barzel. The rocks are strong like iron, and you're able to mine copper from the mountain. You can mine copper from the You should get satiated. And you shall bless. Here's where we learn the famous law of the Katamazon. That when you eat, you have an obligation to bless God. It's one of the only mitzvot that are from the Torah in the realm of Berachot. All the Berachot that we make are the Banan, the rabbis. But there's one Berachah that's from the Torah, and that is the Katamazon. I once heard that there's a mitzvah that says that when you make the Berachot, you should sit. You shouldn't say it, stand. If you take the word besabahta and you break the word into two parts, the first three letters is veshev, and then the next letters is et at the time. So besabahta, veshev et uberachta. And you should sit at the time that you are blessing uh, Hashem. So that would be one of the most important berachot that we make, the berachat uh, So that's the first aliyah. We're right on target. Lil Shani. And we have Adiyat Shani in the bank. 
So we'll continue this tomorrow night, Bezat Hashem. These classes are for Ashrema, Haya Sarah, Bat Simcha, and Narifanada Betok Sharhonam. Zangbaru. Shat Ekev with Pirush Rashi, Rufua Shilema, Haya Sarah, Bat Simcha. We're up to Shini. And so I was following inside, it's chapter 8, and it's going to be Pasuk 11. Shalmed Lecha. God gives us a warning. Lest you forget God. How do you forget God? By not observing his laws, his statutes. That I'm commanding you today. Lest be careful that you should eat and be satiated. Which means you're going to eat good. You're going to feel full. And then what's going to happen? You're going to build multiple homes. Not regular homes, but nice homes. You're going to be settled. And your cattle and your flock is going to start to increase. And you start to have an increase of gold and silver, for that matter, everything that you have will increase. What's going to happen when a person starts to reach these high measures of success? And your heart will become haughty. That's it. The wealth and the material success leads to arrogance. That doesn't end there. Arrogance is something worse. And you are going to forget God. The God that led you to the Midbar, Nora, the awesome Midbar filled with snahash, with snakes and saraf and fiery serpents, akrav, scorpions, simaon, asher, and mayim, in a place of thirst where there's no water, God was able to uh, extract water, water from the rock. You're going to forget all the miracles Hashem did. The God that fed you the man by Midbar, food that your fathers never knew before, in order to afflict you, to test you, the man was a test because you didn't know if it was going to come the next morning. You didn't have any money in your bank account. Not like we live today where you have food supply for a couple of weeks in your house. So, okay, if you can't get to the supermarket today, you know, you have enough uh, Cheerios to last to the end of the week. But in the Midbar, that's it. You live day to day. Once the man, uh, the day's over, there's no more food in the closet. So you have to put your trust in God that it's going to, Come tomorrow, that the delivery of the man is going to come. So that's a test. But that's how we lived. But you're going to forget all those years of reliance on God and all those years of betahon and all those years that we had trust and our Hashem took care of everything. But now you built two houses. Now you got a few cars. Now you have some money. You have some, uh, you know, uh, nice clothes. And what's going to end up happening? You're going to say, 
כוחי ועוצם ידי, עשה לי את החייל הזה, that my strength and my might and my hand made me all this wealth. So what happens, person comes along and says, I did it. It's my business and my genius and my cleverness and my investments and my know-how and my connections. And all of a sudden you remove God from the equation and you're going to come along and say, I did it all. You have to remember. So Rabbi, Rabbi, one should not pray for wealth? One should not? One should not pray for wealth then. Well, what? No, I, I, I would say like this. One should uh, pray for wealth that does not cause him to uh, be, uh, you know, removed Boy. from God. Gotcha. You should pray that doesn't uh, hurt your relationship with God. That's it. Nothing, so that's not against wealth. So that's against wealth that's administered the wrong way. There's many wealthy people that give tzedakah, that have tremendous emunah, that will tell you how not them, and all, the, all, 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 all what they did was from Hashem. That's nothing wrong. You have to pray that wealth will not be your undoing. That's, that's probably what it is. Anyway, thank you. So now, the pasuk is saying, you have to remember that just like in the Midbar, nobody can take credit for the man. Anybody say, oh, I did it. How'd you do it? It doesn't rain man. How is anybody to take credit that millions of gallons of water came out of a rock? Nobody could say they did it. So just like in the Midbar, how, how was it that nobody ever got bitten by a snake and a scorpion? You go outside on your porch in the summer, you get bitten by 33 mosquitoes in five minutes. You went in the Midbar for 40 years, nobody got bitten by one serpent, by one scorpion. How is it possible that we're able to survive the heat during the day of the, of the, of the, of the desert and the freezing cold at night? Ventilation. No, the Midbar, everybody recognized only God was carrying them. So you have to know, even when you leave the Midbar, and you go do it yourself, it's also God. That's the whole key. And that the problem is, because we have our hand in our success, so that's what makes us think that it was us. I heard from Achim Yaakov Elel recently when we were on a trip to Israel, we went to his office, and we shared a beautiful time together with the rabbi. And he said the following, he said that he, he noticed that during COVID, of course, we can't go a night without mentioning COVID. During the COVID, there was an amazing phenomenon that people didn't go to work. People, people stayed at home. They worked remotely or whatever they did. And a lot of people made a lot of money, less work. So he's, he's trying to understand how could it be they went to work, I mean, considerably less time than they used to spend at the office, and they made... Again, considerably more money. And the rabbi said, because when you let God run your business, so then already you're not getting in the way. So the more you're in the work, the more you're in the way. And therefore, the Berakah wasn't able to come down. So Borealm says, get out of the way. Stay home. And let the Berakah come down naturally or miraculously. So he said, that, that was the idea. When people stayed at home, and nobody was able to say when they stayed at home, oh, I did. What did you do? You're blowing your nose all day long. You stayed at home. So explanation is, he, he came along and said, because God now was more present than we had the Beracha. So that's the same thing we're saying over here, that we shouldn't let the monetary success cause you to say, oh, it was my uh, and my understanding that made me. You have to remember God. 
לעשות חייל. השם gives you the כוח, the strength, לעשות חייל. There's no Rashi yet, by the way, tonight. Could you imagine that? But there is a beautiful uh, Aramaic translation from the Targum on this, in Pasuk 18, where it says that he gives us strength to succeed. So I'm reading it in Targum's language over here. Uh, it says, God gives you the idea in order to buy assets. So even the idea is from God. So when a guy comes and says, wow, I don't believe my dick. Oh, so, so down. It wasn't your idea. Hashem put the idea in your mind. person buys a house. So he says, wow, I had an idea. I'm going to go buy the house. And it worked out perfect. The house went up to double the price. And perfect timing. Who gave you the idea? It's true you went to the real estate agent and you did the Ishtadlut. But who put the idea in your brain to buy it? And that's what the Pasuk is saying. Ki hu hanoten lecha koah. Koah is the etzah, the potential, the idea. God gives you the idea in order to succeed. Why does some person have an idea to buy a certain stock or to buy a certain product? Whatever it may be. The idea is, and that's why we pray every night in Arvid. V'takenenu be'etzah tovah melefanecha. Hashem, you should give us etzah tovah. Let the ideas that come in our brain be good ideas and proper ideas and, 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 and prosperous ideas, etc. Now the pasuk comes, by the way, uh, that Shalom HaMelech said to your question, uh, which you asked me that we should pray, we shouldn't become rich. Shalom HaMelech said actually something to that effect. Shalom HaMelech said, Pen esvap v'chihashti pen ivaresh v'ganapti. David was, I mean, Shalomo was concerned about the extremes. He said, listen, lest I become very wealthy and I will come to deny you. Lest I become poor and I will come to steal. So the rabbis point out, what's the bigger negative consequence? To steal or to deny God? Okay, stealing is bad, but it's not denying God. So it's clear that the challenge of wealth is greater than the challenge of poverty. Poverty, okay, my guy might come to steal, which is wrong. But the dangers of wealth can lead a person to have such arrogance. And Chambaruch, my rabbi, always used to say the pasuk in uh, the Navi that says, uh, He would say that, that God uh, uh, says, I gave them a lot of money. And what did the Jewish people do with the money? They made a golden calf. And that, that, that's what happens. Eh? When they were in Mitzrayim, they didn't have any money. All of a sudden, they, they fell into some uh, gold and silver. And before you knew it, So definitely wealth is a, uh, is a challenge. And one, uh, one cannot let his uh, success uh, get to his head. And it will be that when you are going to come and forget and you're going to follow foreign gods, you're going to serve them, you're going to bow to them, God says, I am testifying today, you're going to surely perish. Just like the Goim, Asher, Hashem, 
just like your enemies, the Goyim that God has perished in front of you, the same will happen to you. Because you did not hearken, hearken is a fancy word, you didn't listen to the word, to the voice of Hashem. Now look at this, we read all these Pesukim, not one Lashi yet, Rabotai. So let's continue. We didn't even uh, break the ice yet tonight on Lashi. Shema Yisrael, Ata over Ayom Okay. Listen, O Israel, you are now crossing the Jordan River. You're going to Israel. And you're going to conquer great nations. Nations that are more mightier than you. Now, Rashi says, more mightier than you, meaning you are mighty, but they're mightier than you. That's what the Diuk is over there. That's the word. She's uh, interested in the word mimeka. Uh, they are mightier than you, which implies that we were mighty, but just that the Guim were even uh, mightier. Adim gedolot kubsurot These are uh, cities that are uh, great and fortified uh, to the heavens. Am gadol baram. These are great and lofty people. Bene Anakim, the children of the giants. Asher shamata. You've heard. Who can stand against a giant? You're going to be scared. But you must know. God is going to be in front of you. God is fire that consumes he will destroy them. He will subjugate them. And you will uh, you will uh, inherit them. Uh, and, and, and furthermore, you will uh, you will destroy them quickly. Don't say in your heart. Don't say for a minute. Don't say, oh, yeah, Hashem brought me into the land because I'm meritorious. Uh, which means, don't say that it's because I am righteous and my enemies are wicked, that it was uh, merit-based. Uh, uh, that's why I we got into the land. Don't say that. Don't say that. Why? Mm-hmm. You are not coming into the land because of your righteousness and your um, uh, upstanding uprightness of heart. Only because of the wickedness of the Goyim. So it's not necessarily your um, your goodness. It's actually the righteousness, not the righteousness, but it's the wickedness of the Goyim. That's I make a correction. It's the wickedness of the Goyim. You have two ways to conquer the land, either because you deserve it, or your enemies are so bad that they don't deserve it. So we're going to get the land, not because necessarily we deserve it, but the enemies are so bad that they lost they what they deserve. Now, there's a big uh, question over here. I'll deal with it in another shi'u that we give on Orah Haim HaKadosh this week. 
But the big question is, so here it sounds like that we're going to uh, enter the land not because we have merit. But that contradicts what we said in the first pasuk of the parashah. On the account that you will listen to the, to the statutes, and the Torah promises us that God will keep the covenant that he had with us. And what's the covenant? Covenant sounds like that he's going to take us into the land. Like it says, So make up your mind. Do we go into Eretz Yisrael because we're listening to the law? Or it's got nothing to do with us. It's just because the agreement was so bad. So that needs, uh, that needs really a, a reconciliation. But from this pasuk, it sounds like that a certain element of our entering the land is not merit-based. It's just based on the, the sha'at of the guim. Finally, we go, uh, Furthermore, in order God wants to keep his word that he promised to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and since he promised the Avot that we're going to go into Israel, so whether we deserve it or not, he's taken us in. We had the Atah, but again, remember, not because of your righteousness is God bringing you into the land. Because you have to know, you're a stubborn, stiff-necked people. That's, uh, that's uh, for sure. When the pasuk comes along and says, remember, don't forget, how many times you angered God, you provoked him in the Midbar. From the day you left Egypt, until you got to this current place, you are been rebellious, rebels against God. That's a good note to end off tonight. Shiran, present the ship tomorrow. We'll continue about some of the items that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to recollect. Mainly tomorrow night, we'll talk about the breaking of the tablets and what the Jewish people did uh, at the Golden Calf. So that's that's coming up. Again, you have to remember. The book of Devarim is a review of 40 years in the desert. So it's a, it's a, it's a big uh, rebuke that Moshe Rabbeinu delivers. All right, we'll stop here. Haya Salam. Good night. Good night. Yes. Ekev, in this Pasha, what is the actual translation of Ekev? Does it mean, um, what does it mean exactly? Ekev means... Uh, uh, Ekev means uh, because. Because oh. you build the mitzvot, uh, in that merit, you will get all the all the blessings. Okay. You want to word? Yeah, and it will be because of your listening to the ordinance. Because so, I thought it means like a heel, like a Yaakov. Yo, so that she brought that down. If you remember the last night's class, that she said... I wasn't on it, I'm sorry. Yeah. No problem. Ekev means the heel. I, that's what I thought. Heal, right, Yaakov. But, but that is referring to fulfilling so the mitzvot that people usually tread tread on. The mitzvot oh. that they treat lightly, like talking in shul, like talking in the Torah, oh. things that people just uh, not having come out when they make berachot. So, right. okay. so careful of right. the mitzvot tread on. Okay, thank you. I remember from school. Thank, thank you. So we are uh, learning the Shalema as well. And we are in Perashat Ek. And uh, we got last night 
too, we didn't do too many Rashis as there were not too many Rashis, but we said we're going to pick up at Pedic uh, Tit and we're getting to Pasuk. Uh, let's go to Pasuk Chet. And the Pasuk says, so in Har Sinai, we provoked Hashem, that means we angered him. Angry at the Jewish people. And Borei Olam wanted to destroy the entire people. This is after Hetaeg. The Torah tells us the story. When I went up the mountain, and I went to get the tablets of stone, the tablets of covenant, the covenant that Hashem uh, made with us. So the Pasuk says, and I sat on the mountain, Moshe Rabbeinu that is, Forty days and forty nights. So that she says, doesn't mean that he sat on the mountain. He didn't sit. When it says the word it means that he was lingering, meaning he stayed by the mountain. Not that he actually physically sat. meaning I was delayed or I lingered by the by the mountain, I was by the mountain for 40 days. And the Pasuk says, I went to get the Luchot. Now, if you have a Chumash in front of you, you'll notice that the Luchot is written Lamid Vav Chet Taf. Normally, there should be a Vav after the Chet. It should say Luchot, but it's written Luchat. So Rashi again says, Luchat Ketiv. What is that coming to teach us? Shavot, that both with, that the two tablets were the same size, the same dimensions, so they were like one. Asher karat in Machem, and that Hashem sealed with us, as we said, 40 days and 40 nights. Lo achalti ma'im, lechem lo achalti, and then I eat bread, umayim lo shitivayitain Hashem elai. And then God gave me a shnei luchot abanim, the two uh, tablets of stone, ketuvim be'etzma elohim, that were written with the finger of God ma'alehem, and on them kechol debarim, all the uh, all the words asher diber Hashem imachem bahar mitochaesh beyom akahal, all those words uh, that Hashem wanted me to say over on the mountain on the day that. After 40 days and 40 nights, now get ready to botai. We're going to now have bad news over here. It was after 40 days and 40 nights. Natan Hashem Eli, God actually gave me the Luchot, the Luchot Abarim, Luchot Abarit. Vayomer Hashem Eli. Hashem said to me, Kum red maher mizeh. Go down quickly from here. Ki shichet amecha. Because your nation has become corrupted, they've become, uh, uh, they've descended into uh, a low level. And the Pasuk says, uh, the nation that you took out of Mitzrayim, Saru Maher, they have descended quickly, from the path, 
that I've commanded them, they are made for themselves masecha. Masecha is a, um, let's say, a metal, uh, a molten image. Molten image meaning a metal image, meaning golden candle. So God said to me, I have seen uh, the people. They are a stiff-necked people, stiff-necked, stubborn. God says, leave me alone, Moshe. Let me destroy them. will erase them from under the heavens. I'll make from you a great nation, mightier nation, and even more numerous than the original. So God's basically telling Moshe, we'll start over. I turned, I went down the mountain. The mountain was on fire. The two luchot were on my hands. And behold, I see you have sinned. You made for yourself an egg, a golden calf. You swayed quickly from the path. That God commanded by it posts. I grabbed the luchot and I threw them from my hands. And I throw them. I threw them down. And I broke them in front of you. And then I went and I fell in prayer, that is, in front of Hashem, like I did originally. 40 days, again, I didn't drink or eat. On account of the sins, that you sinned, that you did in front of Hashem, in order to anger. Now we have Rashi over here. So let's start Rashi. So I went back up to Hashem, like I did originally, 40 days. So that she says, as it says in the Pasuk, I said, I'll go up to God. Perhaps maybe uh, I can cleanse them. And it was 40 days. The second 40 days ended on the 29th of Av. Let's just review the, the story of it. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up on the 6th of Sivan. And he that's when we got the Ten Commandments. And he goes up to get the rest of the Torah. 40 days and 40 nights, he comes down on Shiva Asad with Tammuz. That was the day, 17th of Tammuz, where the Jewish people worshipped the Aikim. And then he goes up the next morning on the 18th of Tammuz to ask God for forgiveness. 40 days from there uh, is uh, the 29th of the month of Av. So just to put it in perspective, now today is the 19th of Av. Or actually, uh, tonight is uh, or it's already Wednesday, so it's the 20th of Av. So this time of year, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu was upstairs praying to God to get forgiveness for the Chetaeg. Uh, and what happened? He came down on the 29th of Av. And then it says, Nimsi'u. Now, she gives you the math on the 18th of Tammuz, on that day, the Israel, 
God uh, reconciled and told Moshe, Go make for yourself another. Uh, now, Bobayumi, on that day, on the 29th of Av, that's when God said to Moshe, Okay, you can make another uh, set of uh, tablets. So it took 40 days for Moshe Rabbeinu to appease God to get him to uh, reconcile and to, 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 do another, uh, to do another set. So he did another 40 days. So that's starting on Rosh Chodesh Elul. The second 40 days, or I should say the third 40 days, actually ended on Yom Kippur. And that's Rosh Chodesh Elul to Yom Kippur, which is 40 days. 30 days of Elul and 10 days of Tishri, which uh, is actually when Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the second set of tablets. Most people don't look at Yom Kippur as the day of Torah. But it actually is. That's the day that we actually got the Torah. Somebody would ask us, which the day that B'nai Yisrael received the Torah? It's really Yom Kippur, because that's when we got the keepers. We got the second set of Luchot. God reconciled with the Jewish people joyously. I forgive them. So that's what Yom Kippur becomes a day of forgiveness because already it was a day of forgiveness 3,500 years ago when Moshe Rabbeinu was able to get a uh, forgiveness from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Lachem, that she says, now, this is an important point. Once there's a day in history that God forgives, even if he did it once, that already is, is, is set in that day, that mood, that mode is a day of forgiveness. And therefore, since God forgave us on Yom Kippur for the sin of the golden calf, and therefore for the rest of history, Yom Kippur becomes a day that's earmarked. How do we know that God was uh, uh, forgave us and reconciled us, you know, with perfect will. In the last 40 days, when Moshe Rabbeinu went up, it says, The last 40 days, Moshe says, were like the first 40 days. So just like the first 40 days, obviously they were in good will, because God wasn't angry. So the first 40 days, when he went up originally, it was perfectly good will. It was before the sin. So to the last 40 days, also, all was forgiven in goodwill. But we see the middle 40 days, obviously, were in anger. So let's review over here. We said a lot. I'm giving you the timeline over here. So on the 6th of Sivan, we get the Ten Commandments from God. Fine. That's Shavuot. And then Moshe Rabbeinu tells the people, okay, I need 40 days to go back up in order to get the rest of the law. So Moshe Rabbeinu goes up after 40 days, and he comes down on the 17th of Tammuz, as I told you, and it was chaos. That was very bad. And now Moshe Rabbeinu, God says, I want to destroy the people, leave me alone, I'll make a bigger nation for you. It's over, I'm done with these people. So Moshe Rabbeinu needs to reconcile with God to get God to forgive. So he goes up on the 18th of Tammuz for 40 days. Now, during these 40 days, God was angry. But it took 40 days for Moshe Rabbeinu to appease God. Now, on the 29th of Ab, which is the 40 days when they're over, he comes back down, 
And then God tells him the next day, okay, come back up and start chiseling the second set of tablets. And that starts on Rosh Chodesh Elul, uh, which will be actually Rosh Chodesh Elul is a week from Shabbat, Sunday. And then for 40 days, he went and chiseled the second set of Luchot. 40 days ends on Yom Kippur. On that Yom Kippur, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down and God says to the people, Salahti, I forgive them. And as a result of that, uh, Yom Kippur becomes a day for eternity of forgiveness and mechila. So that's that's uh, that's the history that we just read in the Nashi. Now the pasuk says, "Ki agorti." Moshe Rabbeinu says, "I was afraid." There was uh, Moshe Rabbeinu he was terrified. From the wrath and the uh, the blazing anger that Hashem had, can't imagine if Moshe should have been was afraid. Must have been serious stuff. Hashem katzap Hashem alechem. God was angry. Lashmid etchem. Wanted to destroy you. Vayishma Hashem elai gam b'pa'am ha'hi. And Hashem listened to me on that day. Ubaharon et anaf Hashem meot. Wow. God was angry at Aharon. Now, why was God angry at Aharon? What did uh, Aharon do? Aharon' issue was is that he uh, he listened to Bnei Israel, as she says. Again, remember the story how the eagle uh, went down. Bnei Israel had the uh, uh, idea to do the golden calf. What should have been? Who said? Uh, Aharon said to them, "Okay, go go bring me the uh, silver, the gold in your uh, you know from your wives, and then we'll figure out what to do." Now, Moshe, Aaron was stalling them, but he didn't realize how fast this thing was going to unravel. And before you knew it, already the angel was done. So God was angry at Aaron. God wanted to destroy Aaron also. Now she says, Not that he wanted to destroy Aaron per se. He wanted to um, annihilate his children. And that's um, Moshe Rabin would pray. He says, I prayed for Aharon ba'itahi. Now, she tells us a lesson over here that prayer sometimes works partially. In this case over here, the tefillah of Moshe worked to atone partially. Not all the sons of Aharon died. Actually, two died. Two out of four. So at least the other two remained alive. That means really Nadab, Abihu, El-Azad, Itamar was supposed to die. Well, four. But on account that Moshe Rabbeinu prayed, so only Nadab Abihu perished, and El-Azhar Tamar survived. Now, the new Hindush that she's revealing to us that really one of the reasons why Nadab Abihu died was because of Aharon's uh, involvement in Heta Egen. So therefore it was a kapara for Aharon. The Pasuk says, uh, Regarding the sin, that you did the egel, lakachti, I took the egel, many people don't know this. Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately takes the golden camp, and what does he do with it? He burns it. I pounded it, I caught it to me, he pounded it, lakot, and then I ground it, so he basically pulverized it, until it became like uh, sand, like dirt. 
Then what did he do with it? The ashlich et afaro el nahal, and I threw the the dirt, the dust of the Egel, in the nahal, on the river hayored minaha that came out down from the mountain. And um, the, what did he do with it as, as a result? That's it. Then he goes on to the next. Tabira umasa. There's different locations. One of course is called Tabira. One of course is Tabasa. Upkebrot the Taaba. Maxifimi item et Hashem. You were involved in angering God. Veshloach Hashem etchem mekadesh paneya. When God sent you from the city of Kadesh paneya, the Mor alu urshuot aaris. Go conquer the land. Hashem natati lachem. What did you do? But tamru et pi Hashem, you rebelled. Velo emantem no, you didn't trust him. Velo shematem mekolo. Mamrimi temim Hashem. You were rebels. The yom dafti it came from the day I knew you. Tough stuff here. Anyway, back to the story of the Egan. Et napal lefne Hashem et arbaim hayom et arim alayla. I went back for forty days and forty nights. Hashem et napalti. God said, So I needed to pray. So that she says, um, these are the same 40 days that we talked about above. They're not a new 40 days. It just go here because it's going to give you now exactly the order of what he did. God Almighty, don't destroy your nation. That you redeemed with your greatness, with your kindness, I should say. Asher otzetam in Mitzrayim, you took out of Mitzrayim with a strong hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Al tefen, don't turn el keshia amazet to the stubbornness or the wickedness of these people. Bel v'shov, bel hatato, and to their sins. Pen yomeru, Moshe Rabbeinu then says. What's going to be the people are going to say? The Goim. The land that God took us out of, meaning Egypt. God does not have the capabilities to finish it off and bring us into the land of Israel. And as a result of his hatred, he took him to the Midbar to kill them, which means if you don't bring us into Eretz Israel, the Goyim are going to say, yeah, God couldn't finish the job. And ultimately, he just took them out. He was only able to take them out of Egypt, but he wasn't able to bring them into Israel, and he just took them out of Egypt, and in his hatred, he went and uh, annihilated them. After all, they are your nation and your people and your lot. You took them out with such an outstretched head. And at this point, says Ba'etahi. At that time, now what does it mean? At that time, that she says the sofar After the second forty days, God was appeased, and God said to me, "Pesol lecha." Copy yourself the second set of luchot. And then make for yourself an ark in order to put the tablets. And so God said. Make the tablets and then make a ark. But what does that she say? I made the ark first. Why? 
והלוחות בידי, so when I come and the tablets will be uh, in hand, hechad etenen, where am I going to put them? Which means if I'm going to have the tablets and I have to build an Aron subsequent, so then where am I going to put the tablets in the meantime? So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu reversed and did the Aron first so it will be ready, and then he did the luchot. Now, this is not the original Aron that we learned in the winter when we learned Parashat Tirumat Tzabeh, the Aron that was in the Mishkan. That was the Aron that Betzalel made, if you remember. Shareh, Mishkan, Lonet Askubo, there was no Mishkan yet. Don't get confused here. This is before we built the Mishkan. The Mishkan wasn't built until the came down on Yom Kippur. Gave us the second set of Luchot. And then a couple of days later, we started the Mishkan. So at this point, when, when Moshe is making an Aron for the Luchot, it's not the Aron of Bezalel. Bezalel didn't build the Mishkan yet. Mishkan wasn't even a, uh, didn't start yet. Shareh HaMishkan lo nitaskubo ad ha'ar Yom Kippurim. That didn't begin until after Yom Kippur. This was a different Aaron, nothing to do with the Aaron of the Mishkan. Now, comes comes out now, we have two Arons. We have the Aron of Moshe, and then later on, we're going to have the Aron of Bezalel. So where did this Aron serve? This is the Aron that would go out with them to battle. The Aron that Bezalel made, what was the purpose of that? That only went out to war during the times of Eli and Shu Allah, and they got punished because of bringing it out, and it ended up getting taken in captivity. It's an amazing thing. If anybody came to our Tehillim class today, we learned chapter 78, and towards the end of that chapter, we learned how the Aaron uh, was actually taken into captivity uh, at the time. And again, now we're learning which Aaron was that. That was the original Aaron of Bezalel, which really was never supposed to go out to war. Was supposed to stay in the Mishkan. They felt it'll give them good luck, and they took it out, and they shouldn't have. And ultimately, it got taken into captivity by the Pedishtim, and we all know that it didn't end up. Uh, it didn't end up so. Well. So we have a connection between our morning learning and our evening learning. That's Shmuel, no? Huh? From uh, Shmuel, the Book of Shmuel. What do you mean, the Book of Shmuel? That's when it happened. Time of Shmuel, right before. Oh, it was uh, Eli. Again, Eli. Yeah, when was the time of the that the, they captured it? When they took it out to war, was it the time of Eli or the time of uh, Shmuel? Well, they lived at the same time. So if it's the times of Eli, it has to be the times of Shmuel. Yes, yeah, the, the times of Eli. Okay. Rabbi. Yes. What about the cherubim? Oh. Very good. The Kirubim were not until the Mishkan was built. So this, this Mishkan that Aaron, this Aaron ark that uh, Moshe built, was no cherubs on it. It was just a red box to put the 
tablets. Later on, when they built the Arun for the Mishkan, to your point, then they had cherubs on it and some other uh, some other furnishings. But again, this was just a plain wood Arun for the they traveled, they journeyed from a place called Be'erot Bnei Ya'akan, from the wells of Bnei Ya'akan, and they went to Mosera, from Edebi. Sham met Aharon. Aharon died there. Ba'ikaber Sham, and he was buried there. Ba'ichahen Elazar benot tahtab, and his son Elazar took over the ministering. Now, Rashi over here tells us a very, very big historical hadush that most people are not aware of. So he says, uh, what is this doing over here? This, in, in, this interruption telling us how the Jewish people traveled from Be'erot B'nei Ya'akan to Mosera. And she's asking a, a question on the itinerary. Um, we know that actually... They didn't go from Be'erot to Bnei Ya'akan. They didn't go from Be'erot Bnei Ya'akan to Mosera. They actually went from Mosera to Bnei Ya'akan. I mean, so the direction is wrong. It's like uh, saying they didn't go from Brooklyn to a deal. They went from deal to Brooklyn. So why is the person putting it in the reverse direction? And we actually have Pesukim that clearly say that the Jewish people traveled from Moserot to Bnei Ya'akan. And here we have it, B'nai Ya'akan to Moserah. So there are big, big issues here. The odd, furthermore, it says that when they got to Moserah, that's where Aharon died. Well, that's not true. Aharon died in Hor Hahat, which is in a different location. So uh, it's actually eight stations away from Moserah. Now she tells 40 years later? Oh, no, no, we're talking about in the 40th year. But the point is, everything is messed up in this pasuk. The directions are wrong. The uh, the place where Aharon died is wrong. I mean, uh, and why is it even mentioning it over here in the first place? Um, if you go from Moserah to Horahar, it's eight station stops. So what's going on over here? So that she says that this pasuk was not coming to tell you the itinerary or the journey. This actually is a Musa. It's a very strong rebuke that B'nai Israel are getting from Moshe Rabbeinu. It doesn't sound like a rebuke. It just sounds like they went from point A to point B. Aaron died. He got buried. El Azad took over. And now the Hadush of Rashi. They're all... You did something else. What is that? Keshemet Aharon Behorahat. When Aaron died in Horahab, that was at the end, like you mentioned, at the end of 40 years. What happened? 
nistaleku ananekavod. You know, there were clouds of glory. Clouds of glory protected B'nai Israel. They weren't, you know, regular clouds, cumulus, or uh, all those other types that they taught you. These were special clouds that protected B'nai Israel. And when Aharon died, the clouds dissipated. Now what happened? When the clouds dissipated, we got afraid because now the king of Arad saw that we were vulnerable, so therefore wanted to attack us. We got scared that now we're going to get attacked. So what did we do? So a lot of the people decided we're going back to Egypt, which in the driving school, they call it a U-turn. They said that making a U-turn and they're going back to Egypt and they started to run Mac. So they went from Horaha and they traveled eight stations back and they got to Bene Ya'akam. So again, they're in Horaha and now instead of going forward towards Eris Israel, they go backwards, eight stations, and they get to uh, the place called uh, Bene Ya'akam. And then from Bnei Ya'akan, they went oh. one back to Mosera. So that's what it means over here. They went from uh, Bnei Ya'akan to Mosera. They were going backwards. It's true. When we asked the question, but the southern they were traveling backwards. And the answer is they were. <clears throat> this is when Bnei said were actually making their return towards Egypt. And now what happened? Now, the whole lot of your seats, if you ever heard this. Sham nilhamu bachem b'nei Levi. So b'nei Levi started to fight with the people that went back. And a civil war broke out between the tribe of Levi and all those families that were going back. Uh, and it says, v'hargu mikem v'atem mehem. So it was, it was, there was casualties on both sides. Shevet Levi killed from the Jewish people that went back. And they killed from Shevet Levi. So there's a casualties on both sides. Until they compelled us to return. And then what happened? And then we traveled towards back to Eretz Israel. We got to a place called Gudgod. From Gudgod, we got to Yotbata. And in Mosera, we made a, uh, a great uh, mourning, great abelut on the death of Aharon. Because the death of Aharon actually caused this whole situation. So although he died in Horahad, they made a great mourning period for him in Mosera. So uh, that's uh, a very, very uh, interesting story over here that the Jewish people, again, they traveled back eight journeys. From Horahar, they went Moserot, and that was obviously uh, a terrible um, a terrible thing. Rabbi, do we know where Aharon is buried? Oh, great question. We do. He's buried in Jordan. 
If anybody ever went to a place called Petra, Petra is one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, a few yeah. years, we did a class. We took about 50 boys from the shul, and we went to Petra. And then this Petra, you go through a secret little exit, and you have some Bedouins waiting for us. And they had 50 donkeys waiting. And pay them some money, black market. And we got on the donkeys. And then you climb up the mountain, Hodahad. And it's about two or three hours on the donkey till you get up. And oh. then the, no anymore that you got to walk another like uh, 40 minutes to mm. mountain. And then uh, we went up to the mountain. It's in the middle of nowhere. And then once you get up to the mountain, there's a souvenir shop, of course, on top of the mountain. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they're selling uh, shirts. I climbed all the hot. And then uh, we were there. You're there at the, they call it um, Jabal Harun, the mountain of Aharon. Wow. We, we probably had one of the greatest uh, trips, meaning the most, most people ever that went on one trip. And they got to go through the back. With Jews in an Arab country, you really have to sneak in. You have to make believe you're visiting Petra, but you're really not going to see Petra, though something beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. But you veer off the path and you sneak into this little area and they take you up for uh, for, 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 for a bribe. Anyway, uh, so the, the, the president is really telling us the turn that B'nai Israel took. Uh, and the war that broke out, and that's why they made another mourning for Aaron in Moserah, because they realized that all this happened because of Aaron died. Because of glory left, the people got scared, they panicked, they went back, so the war broke out. So they eulogized them, uh, eulogized them again. So that was um, <clears throat> very good. Uh, so it says, it was as if he died in Moserah. Now, why did Moshe Rabbeinu mention the death of Aharon next to the breaking of the tablets? To come and teach you. That it is difficult for a Kadosh Baruch Hu, the death of the righteous. It's difficult for him, like the day the tablets were broken. And therefore, we see that there's a connection between the breaking of the tablets and the death of Aharon. So um, that teaches us that it's not easy when Sadiqim pass away. Uh, and to tell us something else. Uh, they, they basically, they were saying that uh, we want to go back to Mitzrayim and we want to appoint a new leader. That's what they were telling Moshe. And that was difficult as the day that they worship the golden calf. I mean, and basically they were saying, we want uh, somebody else to take, take charge. It's, they were challenging Moshe. So that's the connection between uh, these two events uh, over here. So again, that's a, a very, very important Rashi over here. So now we go back to the Pasuk and read it again. So the Pasuk is saying, Ubnei Yisrael That means this is referred to when they were going backwards. They went from Berot Bnei Yakan Moserah 
Shamit Aaron, because that's where the civil war broke out. So it was like Aaron died in that spot because the whole community unraveled. Uh, and they buried him there, meaning it was as if they buried him there. But they really buried him in Orahar, and then they're being, they're being fought, and they were able to bring the people back to, uh, you know, back to the places towards Eretz Yisrael. Let me just see one thing in the she over here. From Osera, we went back to Gudgoda, and then we went back to Yodbata, etc. Fine. Now we continue. Misham, Nasua, Gudgoda, Mergoda, Yodbata, Eris Nahalim, Ba'etahi, at that time. If Deel Hashem et Shevet Levi, God separated the tribe of Levi, Laset et Aron Benit Hashem. They're going to be the ones that carry the ark. La'avod, or la'amod, to stand up to Hashem, to serve him. They bless the people. Now, it's going back. Uh, this is talking about in the first year. Now, we're jumping from the 40th year. Now, we're going back to the first year. In the first year, uh, what happened when we came out of Mitzrayim? And then we worshipped the Egel. And the tribe of Levi is the only tribe that did not worship the Egel. And therefore, God separated them and set them apart from everybody else. Uh, in order to um, remind us that they were uh, their hearts were pure, and therefore they become the ministers of Bnei Israel. Now, why is it mentioning this next to what happened with the death of Aaron, which is forty years later? So it's coming to tell us that this is two examples where the tribe of Levi stayed faithful. They stayed faithful at the time of the Egev, where they didn't worship the golden calf, and they stayed faithful when the Jews made a U-turn. They came back and they fought the people and they did not lose faith in God and they brought the people back. So there's a two episodes back to back where you see Shevet Levi was a lawyer. Now their job is to carry the Aaron, that's the Levim of course, and to bless the people. Now the Levim don't bless the people, it's the Kohanim that bless the people and the Birkat Kohanim is called Nesiat Kapayim. That's the Birkat Kohanim that we have every day. But the Torah says, that the tribe of Levi does not get inheritance. They don't, they don't get a, I should say, a, a share in the land. Uh, God is the share of Shevet Levi, which means they get uh, a share from uh, the different uh, gifts that we have to give them. Uh, we give them uh, uh, to work the Mizbeach, and they don't have time to plow, and they don't have time to sow. So really, the Shevet Levi did not work. Uh, they were actually serving all day long, and they received their stipend from the people. Now, Harambam says something beautiful. We learned it in today's Sefer Ha'inuch, if you listen to it, that uh, not only the tribe of Levi, but any Jew that decides to throw the yoke of making a living, throw it off his, you know, his responsibility, and decide to fight God and study Torah, he has a right to do that as well. So Rambam is you know, advocating that you don't have to be from Shevet Levi in order to dedicate yourself to, uh, to a life of spirituality. And that's what we have today. Some young men, they decide that they'd rather sit and learn all day long. Rambam is telling them that these people are not just holy, but he calls them Holy of Holies, Kodesh Kadashim, uh, because of the uh, 
a sacrifice that they make from leaving worldly pursuit and material uh, uh, connection, and they dedicate themselves to spirituality, just like the Levi'im of old. Finally, we end tonight. Vanuhi Amadi Bahar, Moshe Rabbeinu says, and I stood on the mountain to receive the second tablets. Uh, and it says, we know that he went up 40 days. Uh, like the original days. And uh, it says that, um, that God was in uh, the first the first 40 days, we said God was in goodwill. Everything was good. The last 40 days, God was in goodwill. But the middle 40 days, God was angry. Because that was between the Cheta Egel and Moshe Rabbeinu trying to get appeasement. The first 40 days, everybody was good. He was going to get the Torah, no, no sin. After the 40 days, they sinned the Egel. So he went up an additional 40. That's when God was angry. And the last 40, God was appeased again. So that's why it says, I went up a, an additional 40 days like the first one. Meaning the attitude of God in the last 40 was like the first one, goodwill. And the uh, the pasuk says over here, uh, God listened to me. God refused uh, to destroy you. Go lead the people. Inherit the land of Israel. And uh, this is the... Um, even though we, we turned away from him and we did the Egel, Boreolam said, nonetheless, I promised to give them the land and therefore go lead the people and bring them into Eretz So that's another Aliyah that we have. And tomorrow night we'll finish the week and we'll start with Aliyah uh, Hamishi. Okay. Before I made it to Thursday night, that's Shishi, Parashat Ekev. We learned the four Ashrema Hayasara Batsamha. We're at Hamishi. Uh, Hamishi is going to be chapter 10, Pasuk 12. 10, 12. Famous Pasuk we begin the night with. Ve'ata Yisrael. Ma Hashem Elohecha Shoel Me'imach. And now, Yisrael, what does Hashem ask from you? Hashem want from you. All he wants you to is to fear him, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him, with all your heart and soul. So that she says, Ve'ata Yisrael, which means even though we did all these sins, even though we listed a whole host of uh, problems that Bnei Israel fell into, the Heta Egev, the spies, and all the other complaints in the Midbar, still, God still loves us. And even though one of them always asking you in return is, He just wants you to have fear. The rabbis learned a very famous law from over here that all God is asking from us is to fear him because that's really all that's in our control. The rabbis tell us that everything is really in God's hands. We don't control 
anything in our lives. Everything is predetermined. Everything is decided by God. What's going to happen? When it's going to happen? How it's going to happen? How long it's going to happen? When it's going to end? All those things are predetermined. So we really can't control too much. The only thing we can control is religious decisions, right and wrong. Nobody can control that. Nobody can. Nobody controls if we're going to learn Torah tonight, uh, you know, on this uh, Zoom chat. You made that decision yourself. It wasn't predetermined. Uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, something that you were uh, uh, following some preordained uh, uh, decree. No, it was uh, your decision. That's your Shamayim. So if we do something right, we can take credit for it. If we do something wrong, we can't blame anybody for it. We have to blame ourselves. And that's what the Pasuk is basically saying. What is God asking from you? Well, from you, he can only ask what you are capable of doing and controlling. And that is fear of God. Everything else, uh, you know, as they say, leave the driving to us. Everything else is being controlled by, uh, by others. My God. Now, again, that's also in our control to fulfill the mitzvot. And God says, and don't think it's for nothing. I mean, don't think that you're going to fulfill the mitzvot and not get compensated. The Pasuk uh, tells us right at the end over here, letovlach. Letovlach means you're going to get reward. And nobody should think that we're just doing the mitzvot, you know, uh, for uh, no compensation. Now, if God told us, that we're not getting compensation, we still would have to do the mitzvot. I mean, we, God doesn't owe us any uh, any more than he already is giving us. Uh, the, the reward is is the actual service itself. The fact that God chose us to serve him, the Mishnah Berkevot says, schar mitzvah, mitzvah. The, the schar of a mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. That we were chosen to uh, do God's, uh, you know, uh, uh, errands. Uh, but nonetheless, Bodhi Olam is generous. Even though that God says, I want you to do this, and that we should be, you know, flattered uh, in, the, in, the, in itself, but nonetheless, letovlach. Letovlach means uh, there is definite reward. Hen uh, uh, Now this is saying over here. Behold, the heavens and the above. So to God belongs everything. And as she says, everything is belongs to God. And even though the whole world, seven continents, or the water bodies, you know, heavens and earth, everything belongs to God. But who did he cherish out of all of these things? The next pasuk. But God only uh, cherished the fathers, which means Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So he loved them and their descendants uh, from all the nations uh, of the world. And even though to God belongs everything, what well, Elam shows that his love is nonetheless to uh, the Avot and their children. He chose their offspring from all the nations. Now the Pasuk says, uh, Now we know that there's a 
part of the body that's called orla. Now, orla means like an extra piece of uh, skin. Now, normally we refer to that in context of brit milah. But over here, they're talking about the orlat de bavchem, the, uh, the, the heart, it seems, also has a, uh, a covering on it. And this is not referring to a physical covering. This is referring to a spiritual covering of tum'ah that causes us not to get inspired or not to let us hear the calling of Hashem. The orpechem, lo takshu od. And God says, you should not have your heart or your neck stiffened anymore. Don't be so stubborn. Ki Hashem Elohim, because God, who Eloheha Elohim. So he's the God of gods. Vadoneha Adonim, which means, Adoneha Adonim, Rashi says, Lo yuchal shum Adon, Nobody's going to be able to save you from God himself. God is obviously the, the strongest. And now we have a pasuk that says, Who Sound familiar? These are lines that come from the Amida. Gadol, God is the merciful one. The board is the strong one. Vandura is awesome. That means God is not going to show favoritism. As she says, if you break his yoke, if you break loose, let's say, and you decide to make sins, don't think that God's going to show you favoritism. There's no favoritism. God punishes. And you can't bribe God with money, which means a person thinks that he's going to make a sin, and then all of a sudden he'll make some contribution to the Beit HaMikdash, and he'll, uh, he'll get off. No, you can't wipe off. You can't bribe God. Furthermore, it says, Osem Mishpat Yatom Almana. God carries out the judgment of orphans and, uh, and widows. Uh, so that's this uh, line. There's a famous line that, that she said that a beautiful, beautiful lesson here, that even though we just said that God is all-powerful and God is almighty, and God owns the whole world. At the same time, look how humble God is that he takes care of the orphans and the widows. Normally, somebody that's so high doesn't lower himself to the, you know, to the needy people and but who at the same time that he's gadol, gibor benorah, he's oseh mishpat yatom ba'almana. So that she says the, the quote of the Hazal, b'mkom she'atam motzeh gadluto, sham atam motzeh avetinuto. In the place where you find the power of God, that's where you find his humility. Uh, that's uh, as great as he is, that's how, how humble he is. Now, I will tell you a, a chidush on this special uh, chidush that the Kliyakar said, that as great as God is, that's as humble as he is. So let's do a mathematical experiment over here tonight. The name of God is Yudke Bavke. As we know, okay, Yudke Bavke is numerically equaling 26. You know what? I have a piece of uh, paper in front of me. I'll just do it in front of me. So Yudke Vavke is 26. Now let's do 2 plus 6. Well, that's called Mispar Katan. We'll do 2 plus 6. How much is 2 plus 6? 8. Okay. 
Now let's double the name of Hashem. Let's make God greater. So double 26 is 52. Five plus two is seven. So you see, the greater God becomes, the more humble he becomes. Now let's do uh, 26 times three. 26 times three is seven. The eight plus eight is 50. One plus five, six. Now we went down again, eight, seven, six. Now let's do 26 times four. 104. One plus zero plus four is five. So eight, seven, six, five. Now 104 plus 26, or 26 times five is 130. One plus three plus zero is four. We went down again. And now let's do another one. 156. That's six times 56 times. One plus five plus six is 12. One plus two, three. We went down again. Are you following the pattern over here? The more we double the name of Hashem and add to the name of Hashem, the number on the Barakatan goes down. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Now let's see if it works one more time. Christophe, it worked six times. Six times to be a uh, legitimate experiment. So what's 156 plus 26? 182. So one plus eight is nine. Nine plus two is 11. 11 is one plus one. There you go. So you see it works. All right, one more just for good luck. 182 plus 26. 208. 2 plus 0 plus 8 is 10. 1 plus 0 is 1. So there you go. We started at 8 and went all the way down to 1. So that's a, 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 a remez that you see. That's where you see his humility. God likes the Provide bread and um, and uh, and uh, and uh, clothes. Now, where do you? See? Uh, because if you remember, Yaakov Abinu was like a ged. He was like a stranger in his. You know, when he had to leave his father's house and go on the road. If you remember, Yaakov Abinu prayed to God. And God provided Yaakov Abinu. So you see from over here that God provides provisions for the uh, for the uh, for the for the for the convert or for the one that's you know. now the Pasu says we were actually all converts, we was like strangers. And the, she says, Mum Shebach Al That's an old saying that says. The imperfection that exists in you, do not say to your friend, which means do not taunt your friend on something that you you experienced uh, yourself. You, you, you were strangers yourself in Egypt. So now, therefore, instead of picking on the stranger, on the contrary, you have to treat them extra special because you know what it is. You went through it. And now we get to one of the famed Pesukim, Et Hashem and you shall uh, serve, actually, no, you should fear God. And as she says, fear him, the fearing must lead to serving him. And then that leads to, which means cleave to him, 
that if you have all these good traits of fearing God, serving God, cleaving to God, then the Pasuk says, then you're on the level to swear to God. That means you can't just swear to God unless you're on a holy level or high level because we're worried that a person might swear and he might not keep his word. But if you're a person who has fear and who has service and cleaving to God, then already uh, we, God trusts that person to swear. And we know that he will not break his uh, swear. Uh, God is, uh, he's your praise. That's the one we praise. That did to you, the wonders, the great thing. That your eyes saw. We all know that we went down to Egypt only 70 souls. And now, now, uh, 40 years later, God has made us numerous like the star in the sky. That we went from a, a small nation that only was 70 people, the whole census, the whole people were 70. And now, uh, and we already reached in the millions. Now, based on this, uh, our population today should be greater than any other nation. Because we were around, uh, I'm going to say, uh, at least, I don't know, a thousand years before the Chinese. Uh, about it. I mean, we were, we were around uh, in the year 2,448. We received the Torah. So already there we were 3 million. In the year 2448, the creation. Now, I don't know when the Chinese came about. Maybe they came around, uh, I'm not so, so sure the history. Maybe a thousand years ago, let's say, we'll give them credit. So how come there's a billion Chinese and there's not nearly that amount of Jews? We, we had, we had a, I mean, we had a 2,000 year head start on these nations. Uh, let's just, uh, let's just, uh, America. I mean, America is only around for, I don't know, 250 years. And there's uh, Americans, 300 million Americans. Uh, so how many Jews are there in the world? I don't know. What is it? I don't have the census numbers on me. What? 15 million, maybe? That's about, about 15. About, right. about 15 million? Yeah. So look at that. America in 250 years has 350 million. So uh, what's going on over here? Why is it that the Jewish population is still so low? And the answer is because no nation has been more persecuted than the Jewish people. Our numbers will never get high because it's absolutely Yaakov. I mean, just look look at the Holocaust where they killed six million. In that would have multiplied into exponential fame. So the lesson over here is the Chinese are not persecuted. Therefore, they just keep on multiplying. But the Jews, uh, the numbers are always have been. Uh, uh, well, the Chinese, they had a lot of ritual cleansing. You know, Mao Zedong, he killed a lot. I don't know. How, I can't tell you what the figure, but millions, millions were killed. But it that doesn't come close to the billion that they have, for sure. What is, what is. 
The Chinese, they were persecuted themselves. They, they, a lot of Chinese were killed from Mao Zedong. Used to kill millions of people. You know, every time a girl was born, they put a pillow over her head and they killed her back, back in the day. But uh, still, compared to the billion that they have, it doesn't, uh, you know, inconsequential. Advocating for the Chinese over here. But now my point is that the Jews, because of their, uh, the hatred that we have, so that's why um, the numbers are low, notwithstanding what happened to the Chinese. So now we finish over here, and the Pasuk says, And you should love Hashem, and you should keep it um, uh, safeguard, which is the Torah, the laws, and then the last Pasuk of the night, you should know, so he says, you should pay attention to know that she said and to accept my rebuke. Because for it is not with your children which means God saying. I was speaking to a future generation and they could say, well, we never saw any of these things. But God says, you were there. You saw all these things. You saw all the miracles. You were eyewitness to this. And nobody could say, well, prove it, prove it. But that says, et ototam ve'et ma'asab asher asab etuch mitzrayim for all the things that happened uh, uh, in Egypt ve'asher asab lechem mitzrayim what I did to the armies of Egypt ve'asab lechot to his horse and chariots asher that was swept away by the, by the Sea of Reeds. All the miracles I did for you in the desert. Remember you witnessed when the ground opened up? When the ground opened up, and all their tents, and all their uh, uh, sustenance uh, and Rashi says what does it mean that wherever the people were running the ground opened up under them it means the ground chased them it wasn't just a big hole. it says that the ground opened up underneath uh, swallowed them up that's the way uh, the Behuda understands. Anyway, I'm out of the Hamia and Hamia. Hello, Kivani of the Tahar is a Pia. Doesn't say plural dots. You're there. I'm all the people of Kura just slid into the into the into the sinkhole. So there was one uh, that she says, wherever there was a, a fellow of Kura's group, just the ground went on an incline, it says, and wherever Korah's people were, they ended up going into the collective. So we have a machlok. Was it many sinkholes? 
based on where the people are. That's the way uh, the first rabbi, the Buddha, learns. And the second rabbi said, one whole. Well, all right. I think uh, I'm on the Guys, you have.